Hello and welcome back to the Create No Hint podcast. Uh, this week we're back with rugby. Um, I have a very, very, very special guest in the likes of Sir Mark Lee. I'll let him introduce himself after the break. Okay, so um, welcome back to the Create Don't Hate podcast. Uh, like I mentioned before the break with me here, I have Mark Lee, and I'll let him introduce himself. Mark? Hi, Sydney. It's a pleasure to be here right now. Um, I've been actually following your podcast. It's been really interesting from the start about your journey and getting very interest, uh, getting all these uh, prominent sportsmen uh, on the show, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's a pleasure and it's actually an honour to be here. So... Yeah, I mean, thanks, Sydney. Um, fire away with a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> I hope I don't bore you guys listening to me. Uh, I can be quite long-winded. But anyway, I'm here to entertain, right? And tell you more and share more about my story. So yeah, I mean, Sydney, fire away. Thanks. Okay, Um, I mean, we will we will start from the beginnings. Lah. Mark has a... Currently, Mark in the rugby circle has a nickname. Lah, so people call him Markipedia. He is the Mr. Mr. Encyclopedia for rugby. So today we are not going to grill him about that first. Like. It's more about his own personal journey, about how he started and all that. So Mark, maybe um, talk us through how you first started with rugby. Rugby or sport in general? Uh, rugby was never my first sport, to be, to be very frank. Just mm. a correction. I actually started playing rugby, uh, believe it or not, at the age of 15. Ooh. So... Prior to that, I'm, I would like to thank my parents. That's first and foremost. Because they actually threw me to into a whole realm of sport. Uh, I mean, basically, they were really busy. My mom's a housewife. Yeah, she's not working, but she's also busy. My dad uh, was in the Air Force. So, yes, he's perpetually busy. Uh, we traveled a lot mm. in terms of... Uh, I lived in Malaysia for about close to four years. I lived in the UK for another year so. Studied international school and you played whatever sport that was offered per season. Uh, I was pretty awful in all of them, actually. <laughs> um, not much of an athlete back then, but, you know, you're just forced to play different stuff. So, by the age of 10, 11, I would have known how to score in a cricket game, how to survive in a swimming pool, uh, how to hit a tennis ball over a net, and play table tennis with my dad. So, my... In terms of a sporting background for my parents, uh, my mom actually ran track and field at national level, uh, inter-school national level for Katong Convent. Mm. My dad was an uh, inter-school player for table tennis, so nothing to do with rugby. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. You know. It was like racket games and fast, and I'm neither good at it. <laughs> I'm really neither good at it. So you talk about my first foray into uh, competitive sport was at the age of nine. All right. Um, so, in my international school, I was living in Penang for about three plus years, and mm. they wanted somebody to swim hundred freestyle, And I was, my parents said, "Oh, go and represent the school." But back then, remember, it's not high end. It's not like what you have in Singapore. It's international school stuff. You're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about just sign up and just turn up, right? <laughs> so there I go, first inter school tournament. All set, 100 meter freestyle. You know what I did? I swam breaststroke. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really do that well. So, <laughs> for obvious reasons, yeah. For 
obvious reasons. So, so that's my first foray to competitive sport. Uh, did a bit of uh, inter-house relay further on. Got my glory there because um, I had two guys. Two guys who were extremely fast. One of them was African. So that's you can find out. You can know why we how I got my first gold medal. Uh, me, uh. <laughs> <laughs> why I was just pass the damn beaten, right? So fast forward towards that, my came back to Singapore. Ended up in Raffles Institution. I actually went wanted to go St. Pat's mm. uh, because it was like three bus stops from my house. My dad said no. I'm from Arai. But I said I still want to go St. Pat's. <laughs> Uh, he said, I'll buy you a skateboard. <laughs> done. <laughs> and I'll done. And uh, he'll drive me to school. So that was brilliant. All right, fine. So coming to RI, uh, it's a prestigious school. It's the oldest school in Singapore. And it was wow. You know, top students, top athletes, not having no idea, just coming off an uh, international school, not sure what sport to take part in. And I saw rugby like, oh my God. It's so, it's, it's it's robust, you know, and that that was back in 1991. And rugby was actually quite successful. Uh. We actually won a back grand slam. Back in the day. We back actually in the won day. a grand slam that year. Here, here, 1991, all right? Dr. Lai Gawing, please hear that, right? <laughs> that was the first rugby team I saw. They won the B division. Before that, it was the SEC 7s. Back then, SEC 7s was played in February. Mm, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was my first experience of rugby. However, rugby was not my first sport. Mm. Okay, so what happened was in RI, you have a psychomotor test. So you go through different sports testing, uh, you know, whether they give you a ball, you try to hit it, they give you a shuttlecock, you try to hit it with your head, but actually it's not a rocket. They give you this wooden horse. Uh, it's a wooden horse. Oh, you got to vault it. Oh, crap. Uh, don't know. All right, fail. You're not a gymnast. I ended up in... I, I I mean I went through this whole thing and the next thing that came out was the CCA display right yeah or last time ECA so it was I, I I had a lot of interest in rugby but I also saw something in judo mm. it was fantastic it's like I watched it I was a big fan of WWF so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw I when I when, when I looked at it the 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 demo was amazing so it was like this guy comes in with a knife. Flips him, does a backbreaker, then another fella does a suplex. What a sort of slap. demo was that in the school with a knife coming exactly. in? Exactly, it was hilarious. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, I must do this. <laughs> Alright, so fast forward about two months later, right? I'm learning how to fall. <laughs> Three months later, I was learning how to fall. Alright? I was like, where am I going? Alright, it's 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 just like a Mr. Miyagi Ralph Mat oh, sorry. What's his name? That Danny Russo moment, right? Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. <laughs> I know, learning how to fall down. Totally different from what you see on the exactly, WWF man. stage. So I asked him, like, ask the boys, like, wait, how, you know, you guys were like, doing all this demo, and, oh, yeah, 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 we try to do this just to sell the sport and all that, like, never mind. <laughs> so my first real competitive sport was actually judo. So that was my part of my, um, part of my sporting journey. Yeah. And actually, I owe a lot of my sporting journeys to that being a martial art. All right, mm. I appreciated judo as is as a martial art itself. Uh, the values, the discipline it gave me. Yeah, and well, most important thing was actually resilience. Um, I had a lot of people that I looked up to, my seniors. That's for sure. My teacher in charge, uh, the late Mister Lam Nam Soon, God bless his soul. Uh, he taught us about, you know. Pride, never giving up. 
you know, getting knocked down but getting back up again. Mm. I know it sounds like a very familiar song. <laughs> <laughs> but mental toughness, I think that was something which was uh, instilled in us quite a lot. Uh, so my very first rewind, real inter-school <laughs> competition was in SEC 2. Uh, I participated in, at national age group level in judo. Again, lucky me. That was I, in Singapore. That was in Singapore. Okay. 14 years old. Here I go. First ever tournament. And I played in under 16s. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> how did that work? So, I don't know how that works. So, I'm 14 years old. I'm playing in an under 16 category. So, that was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> My belt color is white. Yes, it's quite dark. <laughs> Don't want to don't want to explain more anymore. But guess what? You know, uh, you, I looked at it and through those values and through luck, I made the final. Mm. I was the youngest guy in the final and all that. And I was like, here I am, individual. Remember, all my gold medals were all due to African people in <laughs> primary school and all that. So I was quite lucky. And back then, right, I was just riding on. I was riding on that, uh, you know. I yeah. Like, I feel like the Malaysian rugby team. Shh. Hey. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> hope there's no listeners from Malaysia. <laughs> so far, no. All right, that's great. That's great. So, I went and made the final and I was a middleweight and I faced somebody who was like sack four and I tanked. All right. I tanked. And, and that was probably the turning point of... Uh, my judo career because here I am first into school competition went in there I was like great I made a final yeah I'm going to win a medal but literally shat myself mm. <laughs> shat myself I tanked I lost clear cut to uh, this opponent uh, from SGI it's like four guy and there I was after the after thing got my silver medal really really happy and uh, really really happy Thinking, oh, I got silver. I'm number two in Singapore. You're not knowing what the hell. I mean, I'm, and someone I'm in under 16. But one of my seniors put me aside and gave me a massive roasting. <laughs> massive roasting. You say, basically, you have no pride, blah, 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 and all that stuff. You shouldn't be, just be happy with silver and all that. And it just hit me, you see. Why? Why did it hit me? It's because, you know, somehow I was knocking out people older than me and making my way to the finals people from Chinese high assumption English and all that not knowing what the hell I was going I was doing mm. but the attitude of I got nothing to lose and I don't want to lose but when yeah. I came to the final I tanked because yeah. I had a medal <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah and that changed my whole mindset about things going forward uh, I never settled anything for um, the best from that point on I broke down I broke down it was a very painful moment because I realised how important it was to put a, a good account on myself. Mm. Um, the following year, I was still in the same category. Um, I won everything. I mean, I won that same championship just to redeem myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was something which I wanted to do. As, yeah. And I had a reasonably successful judo career um, at, at national schools level. Then I made a big jump <laughs> to play rugby. So... Why did I do that? <laughs> um, it came back to why I wanted to do judo, right? Judo was a martial art. Yeah. But the, the thing was, 
it did not make give me time to appreciate the sport as a martial art. I mean, no offense to the teachers and all that. It was all about you're part of this machine, right? Churning mm-hmm. out fighters, right? Winning gold medals at different divisions, your individual categories, winning team championships and all that. And I, I didn't stand outside. I was like, why do I appreciate the sport? I was just competing for the sake of competing. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't like it because sometimes as an individual, it's actually a very lonely place. Mm, mm. You know, when you need help and all that and everybody's like, you know. You have to, I think you have to be wired a certain way to be really enjoying individual pursuits. Yeah. Like your 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 there's a certain ego and certain way men, mentally these uh, individual athletes like your sprinters and all these kind of guys are are, are built, and um if you love rugby <laughs> I don't think you can marry the yeah, two. Yeah, it, it did help because um most of the rugby guys I played basketball and soccer with them at recess, <laughs> so it was fun. Yeah, um, it was pretty fun. So there I was, uh, end of sec three. Uh, I made that decision to move on to rugby. It was a big decision because judo was one of the main sports along with rugby. You don't generally cannot do two sports at one go mm. because of the time constraints. The time constraints or the workload required to do both right is horrendous. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, if you want to mix it to two, it's it's gonna be tough. It's not fair to either sport. You got you gotta just take one. It's not like say I I I'm a scout and I play rugby, which is great because I only turn up for campfires, <laughs> even though I can't turn um tie knots and stuff. So that's totally different. No you offense know. to scouts out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, interact club. You know, learn how to do the running man for a week and turn up for interact club night or whatever. And <laughs> compete. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Um, we did have some super athletes who were very well balanced uh, in, in in my school. You know, there were guys that did three to four sports, but they are rarity. And end of the day, it also boils down to academics, right? So if you can handle your academic workload, I wasn't a great student. Uh, yes, then the school will allow you to do certain sports. Or mm. maybe, you know, if you are that good, really, like say squash is a team championship, you're the fifth player. But you're a first team player in rugby, so your fifth sure, year is just a, no problem. Yeah, okay, so you can win squash, maybe train less, but play more rugby. Either one, either way works. Yeah. All right. So the closest thing to team sports I had prior to that competitively was Singapore's first ever three on three competition. <laughs> Don't laugh. Nineteen ninety three, Shaquille O'Neal came to Singapore <laughs> to open the very first Reebok three on three competition in. Uh, Gosh. Takashimaya, I still remember him there, big man, slam dunk in front of us, like, whoa, seven foot tall. And uh, subsequently, we played at the old World Trade Center Expo. Mm. Um, so, a group of my classmates and schoolmates all played three on three. I think it was like basically one sub and three guys, and we got smashed by Filipinos and Indonesians. Uh. <laughs> absolutely. We, we thought we were awesome in school, but we got absolutely <laughs> killed. Uh. So, yeah. But the only plus point was um, I still have no. I think my friend took it. Elmrick still. Oh El- yeah, Elmrick still has my singlet. By the way, <laughs> it's been seventeen years. Please find it, right? I remember because it was so awful at time. He kept on wearing my singlet, like it's that Reebok three on three, right? And yeah, that's fond memories. Uh, and you had a whole kit. It was, it was quite awesome. It's like a precursor to sevens, mm. sevens tournament. You spend mm. the whole day playing basketball. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So. Yeah, so jump into rugby, no idea, 
first game, uh, did a few trainings, dropped a thousand balls. <laughs> Terrible. Tell me, play flanker or second row. What does flanker do? Uh, run around and tackle people. Great, fine. First thing I did, I had a ball, came in, close fist hand off to somebody. I'm like, oh my god, sorry. <laughs> it was hilarious. I had no idea what the rules were. Um, I got tackled. And I was swimming on the ground. Couldn't pass for nuts. Couldn't catch and all that. So I was interested at the age of 15. And fast forward to now where I am. Um, yeah. The question is, how the hell did I do that? Yeah. Did you ever think that right now you'll be where you are I at the age of 15? I had no idea. Because you know what? All I wanted to do was play. Yeah. My, my whole goal about rugby was always play. Because I, I just like that robustness. Of it. I love that physical challenges. Mm. Um, to me, I, I never had any goal right, to, to make the national team. My, my ultimate goal back then was like, wow, I want to make combined schools. Mm. Wow. The t-shirt very nice, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, yeah, man. Combined schools. Um, and you know what? It, it was very funny. Um, so I made the team. I somehow made the B division team. Fast forward the following year. Who wouldn't take a judo champion in their rugby team? I was shit. I was absolutely rubbish. I did not have any skills at all. And I was a reserve. I played like 10, 20 minutes max. Mm. I played a lot of friendlies. But it was all a learning journey. And what accelerated my growth uh, at the age of now 15, going on 16, was yeah, just loving to play. Because every time I played, I clock knowledge. Yeah. When you play, you clock knowledge. Yeah. It's like you punch in, you punch out. What did I learn today? You know, you, you, it, all right, today, this is what I'm going to do. I will make three good tackles, maybe five rocks, and not get injured. Great. <laughs> so that, that's how I saw things objectively. Yeah, yeah. And I try to understand and how to read the games more. And it did help with my recess playing ball sports and all that. Trying to figure out, okay, positioning, what do I need to do? Where's that space and all that? And funny enough, my first foray into combined schools, right? was by total accident <laughs> right so just just on that i don't want to, I want to ju- jump on that um that whole idea of uh having some small goals and a bit of analytical mindset when you go into trainings i think that's something lacking in the the current crop of of youth athletes um they they i think i mentioned this before they have all this access to youtube and all the other information online but they don't use it so they go through, through every training, it's just go through the motion, you know. I start training, I run around with the ball, I get tired, I get smashed, I smash people, that's it, done, finish. I take my handphone, I, I go and have dinner, and then I go home. What did I learn? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 yeah, it's quite interesting you brought up that point. I think it's also because you, you're new to the game, right? So, of course, every session you want to learn something. And that's something that uh, we take for granted, yeah. No, I, I fully agree. Uh, when, when I looked at it, how did I improve myself, right? So, it was playing more games. And funny enough, back then, it was pre-Cowboy. Um, my growth was pretty incredible. I didn't do well in my O's. I had to retake it privately. Mm. So, that real was fantastic. And all I did was just eat a lot, play a lot, train a lot, go to the gym, smash weights. And, okay, I retook my old levels. Very similar to Sham in that case. Right? Mm. So that whole year when I was 17, right, all I did was bring my boots to Farrell Park. 
Farrah Park was like the mecca of rugby, you know. People think of CCAB, uh, but you go there, there's two rugby games going on. And remember, rugby back then, prior to 1996-97, right, was Cowboy Town. You bring your boots, play. Compum got team with 12 players, 13 players. You turn up and play. Um, Ten aside tournaments, I remember playing Black Stands once. I love that tournament, by the way. I played for like six teams. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Two schools, four clubs. What? <laughs> and it was so... I'll, I'll come, come to that in my journey. It was hilarious. There was one time where there was two schools that ended up playing. Um, two poly teams. Cannot name who. And... <laughs> Both sides, we played in a we played in a bowl final. Both teams had not enough real players. The whole team was literally oh, players no. from <laughs> and we all had fun. Uh, I mean, it was hilarious. Like, ah, uh, say it lah. Easy was playing with me in Nian Poly. So and so, I think it was Freddie Ong was playing for Singapore Poly. It was a, it was like it was like Royal Rumble, man. It was hilarious. Uh. I ended up playing another game for the Singapore Navy Police. Mm. Lion Red B as a fullback. It was it was it, it, it was <laughs> hilarious, I, I mean, those days, right? You could play for anyone, and, and even like Inter O Boys, right? You just turn up, right? And there's a team that doesn't have enough players, right? You are instantly an O Boy of the team, <laughs> and you're still studying. So I mean, rugby back then in '95, though disorganized, right? There was so much activity going on. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I did it in view because I knew I was, I knew that. Once I cleared my O-levels, I, I will go somewhere either Raffles or St. Andrews or AC because I already knew why I screwed up my O-levels. I was very sure because uh, I was meant to go to Australia mm. and I kind of hinted my dad, you know, I, I wanted to go to Melbourne and study. I didn't want to stay in Singapore, but my dad was going through a transition career-wise, so I just stay in Singapore. Mm. Thus, my results also stayed in Singapore, <laughs> stayed as such. My Australian based results going towards that change so <laughs> needs change like oh crap I gotta get in college Yeah, <laughs> I gotta get in college so I had to rethink my goals yeah. so that's my story about my mm. Um, so moving on why how, how did I move again from then and now I think that year alone I think I played like 30-40 games <laughs> okay of any form or sort so in terms of club rugby proper club um I was playing for what used to be Odom, ACS old, old boys, mm. and most of the players were not from ACS. <laughs> it was a mixture of San Andrews, RI, SJI, name it, and some dude at a corner. And <laughs> it was some dude we picked up. You want to play rugby? Yep, let's do it. It was hilarious. Right? Um, I think the only guy that was, guys that were from ACS at that point of time were the two wrongs and Chanji Wei. Yes, Chan Chiwei played rugby on the same field with us. <laughs> Do not laugh. And uh, I think the ACJC teacher in charge, he didn't play Mark Ng. He played, played, played a bit of rugby. He didn't play much, but he also turned up and played. It was hilarious. Mm. It was fun. Mm. It was fun. Um, and, and it was all about playing. So, goal level time came. Um, got into college. And I made a big decision. So, was it Raffles? Was it ACJC? Or wherever and um, funny enough, I, I I chose I chose AC not because they were high and they were successful at, at that point of time. ACJC, even ACS, they weren't successful at all. Mm. It was hilarious because 
we I remember my first year we had to change three coaches <laughs> in the first three months. <laughs> Nothing to do with us and and all. And we still made the final. We lost by one point. But then my journey changed. It was, it was very funny because I was playing flanker in second row. Yeah. Uh, my fortunes changed when a, a certain Lincoln Tan, right, who was the third coach that year, right, mm. the one that stuck, Lincoln, yeah, the one still around, okay, <laughs> told me, Mark, you are gonna play prop. Then I, I just gave him that blank look. <laughs> I, I said, I, excuse me, <laughs> like you gotta play prop. I'm like, Lincoln, props look like you, <laughs> not me. I was quite well built. Back then, uh, back, back then. then. I mean, in my mind, like, I cannot say that to him. Like, he's my coach. Like, right? he's, like, no, 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 no. This is the plan. You you are prop because you are, you are strong. I see you in the gym, blah, blah, blah. And you're very mobile. But, yeah, props are not supposed to do anything. They're just supposed to lean and hit the scrum. And that's about it, right? That, remember, that was like 95, 96. Right? That time, yeah. props really look really, like Really, yeah. Really look like props. You move one from circle, scrum to scrum. Yeah. One circle or one feet, one feet right? Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, props. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Want to play prop? You know when you when you come not out, the you're modern five, day, not the modern day kind of props, old, right? You come out, you look like that prop. <laughs> That's it. Specialist <laughs> position. Prop. You know, go buffet, clear out. You know, clear out until clear clear the food until eleven o'clock. Prop. <laughs> Done. All right. So yeah, it was a life changing experience because I think he has one thing about Lincoln. I give it to him. He he's got an eye for the future. Yeah. In terms of players and in terms of what he sees in guys. And um I really credit a lot to him in terms of how he sees the game. Uh and why he sees because at that point of time he was also a national team manager. And funny enough, that year remember I clocked the thirty over games. And that thirty over games wasn't wasn't to be very frank, it wasn't random, it was also planned because I told myself if I'm gonna play and get myself appealed in get myself a first team how many games right do does it take right to be a rugby player to get in there because if you can be a rugby team player and a rugby squad player for four years and you are a bit player right and you play maybe two games three games a year mm. in a competition averaging maybe 10 minutes right that's basically half an hour a season mm. so you multiply that times four how many hours <laughs> 12 times half, what? 12 times 30 minutes, sorry, 4 times 30 minutes, that's 2 hours of rugby. Yeah. Over 4 years. Yeah. Competitiveness. So how do you get to the level? Because I did not, I my goal wasn't to be, I want to be first team, I want to be a national player, I want this and that, I want to get to combined schools. You know, nah, nothing about that. I just wanted to play. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to play and play more, you know, and my peers will know, right, if I get subbed out, I get really pissed off. Because mm. I know that I, I, I still want to go, unless I'm really tanked out already. So, it was all calculated. I knew that I need this much to accelerate. So, you see, what does, how, how many hours do a first-team player plays? Average about six. Six a season. Competitive games. Yeah. Two times four. 24. Two times five. Mm. I'm, there, I'm nearly there already, right? Yeah. And I was playing against men, no. Yeah. So by the time I got in, uh, God, again, thanks Lincoln for that. I was ready to go. Right? I, I could play anywhere. I mean, I could play loose head, tight head, except hooker lah. That that required a bit more skill lah. So, <laughs> so second row, back row, whatever. Because I really knew what I play. But surprise, surprise, ended up playing tight head prop. <laughs> uh, 
And the rest is pretty much history. Uh. That year, I broke into the under-20 squad. The first age group squad uh, under the new regime. Uh, we I was in the environment of... I was in the company of very, very talented players. And I think that helped me accelerate my growth. Um, that under-20 squad had probably 60% of the SEA Games team that played in 1995. So I was playing and training with the likes of Kai Hawk, Izzy, how you saying? I don't think you know him. It's not your time, mm. right? Kate, Romy. These guys were playing legends. Rugby, man. So legends. They're absolute legends at schoolboy. Absolute yeah. legends at what they are. So they helped me accelerate my growth. I didn't mm. play that back in the game, but again, it, it was disappointing. I didn't make that team, but again, I told myself I cannot be like this. I want to play more games. Yeah. It wasn't about I need to do this because I'm that good. I never thought I need to play more games. <laughs> So um, that same year, under 19s, because last time it was under 20s, was played between Thailand every two years. Mm. And it was like a one off, all out war, home and away. And it's not home away in one period. It's like this year's in Singapore, two years' time, it's in Thailand. Yeah. It's every other year. Uh, and it's very much like a causeway challenge. So my goal then is in two years' time, I want to start in that game. So that's what keep that aside. I made under nineteens that same year. First time, first ever under nineteen squad went to Hong Kong. But so my next immediate goal is if I want to start two years time, I need to start every game under nineteens, which I achieved. So I started every game, played against Japan, played against, played against Taiwan, Thailand, Malaysia. Um, thankfully, thankfully again in a, in a good environment uh, with a lot of much better players with me and, and I learned a lot and yeah I, I, I'm thankful about the brotherhood I have over the years and actually the players you players I played with we went on to play for Singapore so in that same year I never and that's you know, the funny part I also made the under 23s so I made under 19s under 20s 20s under 23s in the same year playing prop and I only found out playing prop in like February 1996 mm. 23s I was not part of I was part of squad but I didn't play but I just watched I just gleefully watched our seniors like Buddha and all that smash them 29 oh. nice. it was a beautiful sight to watch yeah but that was the dawn of good things to happen yeah. you know, um, for for me uh, not for me but I think for Singapore rugby in general mm. And, mm. And because we had a very strong draw age groups and the signs were there Thailand and I'm glad I was part of it we beat Thailand for the first time in what six years in the age group level. We beat when I played Malaysia, we whacked them by fifty over points. Mm. At under nineteens, at under twenty threes, we hammered them by twenty nine or twenty one zero. And um, it was good things to come. When we played Japan, we we when we played Japan at a point of time, if you know we Miki. Heard, heard about him, yeah. Yeah, he, he's got a very questionable he's got a very questionable look la, <laughs> uh, with regards to entertainment stars. Uh. So yeah. So he played in that game. We lost I think 53 or 43 10. Halftime was 19-3. Game on man. Yeah, so but it was a great environment to be part of. And it wasn't something which I said I deserve to play, but I just kept on training and if I deserved my spot, I deserved it. You know, if I'm not good enough, I'm gonna go back and train. Mm. Um, so I went through that went through college uh, was part of the first ACJC team to win a, the A division 
since 1980. Uh, our it was a it was a very interesting year that year. Um, I also played Premiership rugby. I That's important. Rugby for a club called Lion Red, and we made it to the cup semis for the first and only time. Mm. And back then it was what all like Lion Red was predominantly local guys. So Lion Red was actually the only old boys team mm. that was accepted to play in the revamped premiership. All right, so Lion Red was derived from VSDS old boys, which is uh, Danyan Tech Secondary School. Uh. Marcus Yo and Gay. Marcus Yo and Gay. But Marcus was playing for SEC back then. <laughs> yeah. And he still plays football for them. Yeah. The bottle deals are damn good. La. <laughs> so now he's <laughs> at the men's bar. Yeah, I think he's at the men's bar right now. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, I think no, no la. they're still training. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you had the likes of Kai Hawk. Sam Chan. Yeah. Sam Chan was spearheading Lion Red at that point of time. So I got I joined them. I didn't say I got recruited. I joined them anyway. Mm, mm. Uh, again, it was a very diverse team. It had guys from St. Andrews, Raffles, Greenridge slash Dunyan Tech, all, all playing as one. Uh, future batches included players from Pioneer. Mm. And we were we became actually a factory. For, I would say a factory uh, for at least age group players. All our young guys were coming through that system. I remember the Lion Reds. The younger boys, like the guys during my batch, or just slightly older, like your RJ Sanjay and all that, yeah. they, they all played for Lion Reds, right? Yeah, so um, that's how the, the ethos of that club, we actually expose you really young. Yeah. Uh, it's not about, where it's basically if you are young enough, you're good enough, that kind of attitude. Mm. And mm. we back each other up, we played, we made the semis. Um, that year we did quite successful. We did well because we had a group of engineers from UK that came and helped us. But, <laughs> but part and parcel that year we, we were quite successful. Sevens and tens we were very successful. Mm. Um, we won the sevens. No, I, I don't play sevens. I love <laughs> the ten. I think tens back to back we made finals. The make the finals, but we lost lost in both. And that year we actually knocked bucks out. Yeah, we played the semis because last time the format was very different. It wasn't like. 1v4, 2v3. It was yeah, actually yeah. 3v4, 1v2. 1v2, but 2 lose or 1 lose, 1v2, right? The, lo- the loser will play the winner of the other game. So it's like a double knockout. Yeah, yeah. So we knocked out when we beat that team in 997. When we beat Bucks in 997, 12 10, Clarence Lam kicked the winning penalty, if I'm not wrong. Oh, the fella again. The fella again, yes. Uh, we were technically the first local grown side um, to make a semi-final because it was still very expat dominated. Uh, mm. I think I was very proud to say, like, you know, we looked at our team, the front row, Andrew Kong and myself, mm. were, were front rowers, we were like 19 years old, uh, playing in a cup semi-final. Like. Yeah, man. Yeah, cup semi-final. No joke. Like. Yeah. Uh, you had Songpong. Songpong was still in uni, so I think he was about 23. We had Kai Hawk. Kai Hawk was playing blindside. At 20, mm. 20, Clarence was 22. Uh, old, the, old, the oldest dude was actually like Sam Chan like, at 26. Uh. <laughs> no, it, uh, it, he had a bit of hair. <laughs> yeah, we played that. Huachi, um, 17 years old, JC1. And I still remember that year. JC1, he was at Hapak. 
Ming Hao, my age at time, 19 years old. So you can imagine how young our team was. Yeah. Really yeah. Are. Yeah. Right. You don't get this kind of uh, age. You don't get the kind the... of opportunities. Uh, but yeah. that's something which I think for us, we were lucky because we played in the league very young. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played in the league, you remember, for my ACS old boys team, 16s going on 17. And yeah. Like, yeah. Whack left, right, center. Uh. Yeah. So, but it's the it's the exposure, right? Um, like you said, like you blend them young, you blend them early. They they get the experience and they learn from there. The I mean, I I don't know. I I I have this view that the the kids nowadays they have, they seem to have this trouble. yeah they seem to be very sheltered and by the time they enter the league. They only want to enter when they are ready, and they think they are ready. Not whether they are ready or not, but they think they are ready, which is like twenty something. And then they have a short window before they start going off to work, and then then they are bogged down by other commitments, etc. Yeah, it's basically like a deer. But by the time they get on, they are literally like a deer staring at head, head yeah. lights in the darkness. Yeah. because they've missed that window, right? Yeah. To to learn and all that, and then they they think that physically they're ready. They go into the game, the pace. The physicality of the game shocks them first, and then by the time they get accustomed to it, their window is done. Yeah, exactly. And back in the day, back in the day, I, I I'm not gonna pull any punches. Ah, uh. rucking, rucking was completely legal. Uh. so sometimes you come out, you, you may not have even have a jersey. Uh. <laughs> and uh, punching is optional. Speaking of rucking, uh, I remember playing you <laughs> play against you in the gym we are cup two years ago. Uh. I I was under I was at the base of a rug. I I looked up and this guy holding his right arm up was you. And he, hey, hey, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't know it was you. <laughs> I saw your face. Yeah, I mean it's uh, muscle memory, like, yeah, yeah. It's part of the game. La. It's part, it's part of, the of the game. That's why I said sorry. Let's yeah. have a beer. After we that. had a beer. <laughs> we took photos, but it was fun, lah. <laughs> it happens, uh. I mean, that's, that's sometimes you know, old habits die hard, right? <laughs> So I mean, don't really want to bore you so much. Um, I don't think you're boring anyone. Don't yeah, worry. So so we made that, and it's incredible that we did it. We lost Wanderers, and eventually SEC beat Wanderers in that final. So, but it was a great turning point because a lot of us actually formed that backbone of success later on, further down the years for for the national team in mm. 07, 17, in the early mid two thousands. Uh. Yeah. We actually suffered a lot. We lost a lot. A lot of people think, oh, we are like natural born winners of rubbish. We suffered a lot. We got bashed up, kicked in the face, get punched. Everybody that played police will get bashed up. Win also, get bashed up. Mm. Lose also, get bashed up even more. <laughs> so, SEC was no joke. All right. They can maul you from 80 meters and still score. Mm. Bucks very well balanced. Depending, depending on who they have week on week. Very transient uh, group of guys, but always hard rugby. Uh, Wanderers, at time up and coming, they were the only team that actually trained twice a week back then, and they were bloody fit and physical. Mm. Um, that was under the that was part of the whole new SRU constructed teams. But Oak Kings was up and coming back then. Uh, we'll talk more about them later on, <laughs> but. They they were they were up and coming, so they had a good mix of Japanese and expats and local people playing for them. And then there was Northern Knights up north, so the club club scene was very vibrant. Very vibrant. Very very vibrant back then, and and you would be guaranteed at least nine or ten games a, a season. And you had all the other peripherals, like your sevens, your tens, your under twenty threes, your under twenties. You know, 
you you got so much rugby that whole year. So school is just a small component, but you got so much things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's you just bring your boots to have Farrah Park. Uh. Sure got something on. Uh. I remember the, I mean, as a primary school kid, second, I mean, I'm, I'm a couple of years younger than you. Um, uh, I was telling, I can't remember who, but we used to have those, um, like the weekends were so vibrant, so full of rugby. Uh, you have your league ongoing. Every other month, you had your M110s, you had your Sevens, you had uh, carnivals where the RDOs, the national team players or the Lion Red guys would reach out and go to the schools. You had, I think last time you had singer rugby as well where where all, where all you get to meet all your national players and all that. So it was it was a full-on thing. La. That was how I got sucked into the whole rugby thing. I'm I'm not surprised that you're one of the, those byproducts for that because it, it, that laid the foundation. We we needed some form of success, so the union actually enjoyed age group success in '96. So mm. That paved the way for their first international win for I don't know how long. <laughs> I think the last time we won an international game, right? So '97 was that huge turning point, right? Mm. I don't even know how when was the last time we won a test match prior to that. I mean, prior to that is we played the MRU Cup. And, no, sorry. Prior to that, we set a world record. The Hong, you know, Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Prior to that, we also set another world record against Japan. 123. Uh-huh. Last time, one try, four point. Uh. Shack. <laughs> Very shack. <laughs> And prior to that, I don't know. Nobody's talked about when's the last time, but it was a very long time. It could be the late 80s. Or it could be the early 80s, but... There was this huge void of information where you don't really know. I don't know. And I'm supposedly Mark PD, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there was an MRU Cup, which we won, which is their version of Malaysia Cup. And then you go rewind a bit more. It was all about that 1978 team that finished third in Asia under Nata, Baba, and Song Kung Po. Just, there was this huge void for like... Oh my gosh, I think... 12, just under 20 years. Mm. That whole void of nothingness. I won't say nothingness. There was a lot of rugby, but international success. So came 97, after so long, we finally, I wasn't, obviously I was still studying and all that. I wasn't ready yet. I was just enjoying my club rugby, playing age group. We finally beat Malaysia. Mm. After so long, at test level, um, people were telling me, the boys were crying. Malaysia was also crying. <laughs> Don't ask why, right? Don't ask me why. Uh, it, it, it was an amazing scene, uh, you know. And mm. uh, we went on a crazy streak after that. Um, we played. I was an usher at the point of time. We played for the first time in national stadium. Uh, you've seen all those old videos. Easy slicing through, scoring yeah, a try. Yeah, yeah. They beat China in their first ever Test match, and the ultimate showcase for us was in '97, where we had that test match was actually 1998 when we hosted the Asia Rugby Championships. Mm. I don't know whether you were playing back then when when we came back to the National Stadium again. My my best buddy actually played, Andrew Kong. He he got his uh, first test cap there. So they, we we played against the likes of, okay, Thailand, we won by a walkover. I'm not going to talk much about that. (laughs) We played India, first test match, and in the final, we played Sri Lanka and we won. And we haven't beaten Sri Lanka for a long time. And that put us into that next tier. What's next? The top tier in Asia, kind of. What's next? So so that was the first time we won the equivalent of what is Asia 
Asia Rugby Division 1 Championships and we were trying to knock the door and play Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, Korea. So what happened was, you know, SRU can be, I mean, the Singapore Rugby Union can be, are actually pioneers of certain things. <laughs> you don't realise that kind of thing. During that space, we created our first Asian Tri-Nations. Mm. Home and away with Hong Kong and Taiwan. Mm. So it started in 1999. And actually that was a, a model which Asia Rugby developed from. Yeah. Where it's groups of trees. But So we played Hong Kong and Taiwan over two rounds. So... But that's where we actually started to improve so much because imagine a jump where 95, 96, we struggled to win. 96, there was no international test rugby. 95, we went C games. We lost all our games. 97, we won two games in a row. We followed up with Asia, the Asian champs. We won five games. I mean, we won three. So total, we won five test matches in a row. We were on a, we were on a streak, right? Mm. Yeah, bigger streak than Italy, you know You know what I mean? That's the big <laughs> stuff, all right? Okay, so... <laughs> Justin Sampson was the coach. Then we went on to take on the likes of Hong Kong and Taiwan. And the boys did not disgrace themselves. I remember the very first test I turned up watching. Uh, we lost by two points. Mm. Controversially, but Clarence will clarify with you why we lost. But never mind about that. We actually beat Taiwan away. And Taiwan at a point of time was actually third in Asia. They actually beat Hong Kong the year before. So we were that close in being where we were. We actually knocking at the door we were a strong fifth because you had japan korea hong kong taiwan and us we were a strong fifth knocking on that door constantly that was where we were so i would if you want to say if that was closest to being mimicking that golden age of rugby it was probably i mean being closest to that 1978 batch or this 1977 batch was probably that that whole era where we were competing you know um beating Beating Thailand and Malaysia is a, uh, it's basically a non-negotiable at that point of time. Mm. At any age group, it had to be. Yeah, it had to be. Mm. It had to be a non-negotiable, or even if you lose, it's about one or two points. But it's, but that was a non-negotiable. And I mean, the, the that came about with the formation of Singapore A, which that gave me my big break mm. to the senior team. So Singapore A was meant to play in the old Asian quadrangular where Singapore, Thailand, Sri Lanka and Malaysia played. So that were that was actually very big plans because the main team is already challenging the rights of Hong Kong and Taiwan. Our second team is challenging the likes of the first teams of Malaysia, Thailand, Sri Lanka. Yeah, and yeah. that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that didn't happen. <laughs> so we ended up playing Hong Kong A. And guess what? We drew with them. <laughs> In Hong Kong, okay. the whole buff of that. So that 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 led uh led me into uh my inclusion into the two thousand Asian Champs team. So that is my rugby journey. The rest is history. Twenty eight caps later, <laughs> right? It was a hard fight, you know. Um, yeah, it was it was not easy. I, I can tell you now, uh, it's a lot of hard work if you want to get get your first cap. It's even harder to get your next one. I tell you, it's a lot much harder when you get 28, man. <laughs> it's very hard, all right? At this rate, I think in the current times, it's almost impossible, I would say, because the international calendar is is quite minimal for, for us, right? In terms of 15. We were pretty lucky. Yeah. We were pretty lucky. I would say that right now, um, back then, 
you will have your tournaments, your Asian Champs, your Asian Tri Nations, and your World Cup qualifiers. So if it all three elements, right, and maybe one or two test friendly matches, yeah, like, yeah, five, six test matches in a year, yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, close to being pro, uh. not really lah, <laughs> but you know that kind of that kind of level and that kind of competition. Then that's why you always have to be on your toes and exactly. the people you are playing with, uh, it's like. Yeah, yeah. After your jersey or your fighting yeah, yeah, same yeah, jersey, yeah. you have a competitive domestic league, and then you have these uh six or seven international test games. Yeah, that means you are, like you say, like you have to be on your toes, lah. Yeah, if you're not on your toes, you know, um, I I give an example of uh one of my very buddies, uh, Rong Jingxiang. Mm. He dedicated most of his twenties. And teens, uh, yeah, I think he he wasted the whole. Of his, I won't say he's wasted. He spent the whole of his twenties just playing rugby. Dedicated, lah, yeah, dedicated. Yeah, and he was just w- working part time. Yeah, uh, being very prudent with his money, and all he did was train, just train and train and train. Because one, he was looking behind and back and looking at all the competition coming around him. And he's got to train even harder. He wakes up six a.m. to run five k. After that, he's at KPC smashing weights. And he's he's on for training, or he'll go to his part time job, either coaching or helping somebody and all that, and he'll train at night. He was mm. on a very minimum level of income, but he had that drive because mm. one was to his first goal was to keep his jersey. Second is to do well in it, and as not many people I can see in that with that kind of hunger and that kind of thing. yeah. Um, so for him, basically, the he's a, he's a dime a dozen. And that coincided with just to see him how driven it was coincided were during my university time. I actually spent three years in Australia playing mm, rugby, mm. and he slept on my floor for three months because <laughs> he wanted to play rugby in Australia. So wow. he spent the, spent the season there. So yeah, I went through army. So go back in. So go into the Asian Champs team. Finished up with my army, went to university, and had the time of my life. Not because of uni- the partying in university. I, contrary to belief, I didn't really party much in university. I went overseas. Mm. When I got entered Australia's shores, I actually decided to quit rugby. Okay. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, I said, you know, enough. I've already played for Singapore. We won a Division One. What's next? You know, I want to try something else. I'm in a new country. You know, I'll meet new friends, and uh, so on and so forth. So I decided to play football. <laughs> football. Do not laugh. All right. So I left all my rugby gear back home. So <laughs> my mom asked me, "Do you want to? Do you want to bring all your rubbish? Nah, no, no interest. I'm gonna do something else. Maybe I'll, I'll take up, take up some new martial art or I'll play football or whatever. Right? You know, maybe I'll come back with big hair, lots of tattoos, bring guitar. I don't know." <laughs> Going to a new country, how exciting! Right? Yeah. Don't do some, do something different. <laughs> <sighs> Next minute, <laughs> <laughs> playing football was horrendous. Uh. I mean, I was playing with Serbians, Croats, uh, <laughs> I think some Malaysians, uh, Indians, and all that. We were mismatch, mismatch Monty crew, Monty, Monty Python, Monty crew group <laughs> of people. Uh, and I was struggling. I was struggling because of. Communication. Yeah, you know, I had this Serbian. I was they made me striker, and I've never played striker in my life. I always play defender, right? Central defense is my favorite because I I can hack people. They made me striker, and I'm like, 
I can't trap. I'm terrible. I can't dribble, and my shooting is horrendous. I don't know why. They just want to. And I had this Serbian guy and Croatian guys. They are always arguing with each other, or they're like shouting at me. I'm like, yeah. in different languages, uh, Yugoslavian or whatever. And it's like, this is. I really am not enjoying this. I'm doing this because my friend asked me to do it, and I'm just, yeah, meeting different people. But there was this different vibe when I was playing it. And training was horrible. Um, it was not physically demanding. It was just all about taking corners and doing one-twos and interest. <laughs> I love watching football. But the, the most, the biggest defining moment why I went back to rugby in Australia was we were playing a league game. I remember against a group of Mexicans who were all four feet tall or something. They all actually, it was like 11 Gaspers I was playing or something. And they were damn good. They were so skillful. And they put me at a striker. Couldn't trap, couldn't do anything. And I told the coach, hey, I am not a striker. Put me as central defender. I'll show you how to play. Great. First, so, made that swap. Somehow in that league, you have can do rolling subs. So, made first tackle. Wow, flying Mexican. Made another tackle, flying Mexican. So, and then, then came, the, I still remember, it was a left flank. This Mexican came in, cut in, and I decided to do a Paolo Maldini slide, right? And at that point of time, I sprained my ankle and knee at the same time, and I just went, on the same leg. On the same leg. <laughs> I heard, I'm like, all right. I've never been majorly, I've been injured in rugby, but not like this. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I really cannot do this. And if I'm going to do this for three years, right, I'll kill myself. Right? <laughs> I will kill myself, you know. So, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. I, uh, I actually hung my soccer boots. <laughs> I drove past, uh, I, I remember I spoke to Mark James, who was then national yeah, coach. Yeah, I yeah. said, hey, you know what? I'm going to play rugby there. I said, great, go play rugby. In, go play rugby in, 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 play for Palmyra. I was like, where the hell is Palmyra? Oh, crap. 10 minutes from my house. Great. And I had the time of my life. It was mm. a fantastic experience playing overseas rugby because you go in there, it's it's mind-blowing. It's, I, I, won't, I, I mean, Palmyra has a very rich history as a club uh, of what it is in terms of its contribution to Western Australia but the people you meet there are lifelong friends I actually to be very fair I enjoyed what rugby is all about the friendships the networks the competitiveness the discipline and most importantly it taught me the balance alright my unit my first I mean my, my in fact all my seasons I, I, I'm not going to say oh, I played first team I'm awesome and all that no, I started from the bottom mm. and I worked my way I mean I when I first joined them, I just lied to them. I said, I, I was being very honest, I'm a planker. <laughs> so my friend Marcus and myself, we joined. He was he was actually playing number eight for Singapore. And I went in there, I was playing prop for Singapore. I just lied, I said, I'm flying side planker. <laughs> and same thing, I just played. Funny enough, first game, did really well at planker and they kept me there. Then, my good friend Marcus, uh, what happened next was... So I played that flanker for two games. Our, because I ended up playing for the twos. Their main prop from the first team got injured, so my second team prop moved up. <laughs> that was like, oh wait, Marcus, your prop. It was funny because Marcus was on the bench. I was playing flanker. It just does not, didn't make sense in Australia. Then, then Marcus, I remember blurting out, "Why didn't you ask Mark to play prop?" I'm like. <laughs> Not against, it's like 1994, right? I'm 1995, right? Back all over again. I was like, 
uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, 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 he played prop for Singapore. <laughs> Finish. Finish. The end of your flank career. Finish. Finish. <laughs> right, you know. It's like Dinko's lah. He probably told everyone he was a winger lah. <laughs> Yeah, probably like Julian Savia. At the side, is it? Julian Savia probably told him <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, Dan, Dan uh, used to play hooker. A, they, Front row. Dan is a hooker. Is it finished? <laughs> That's how they go to play wing. Yeah. Uh, we tried that on Gasper. Didn't work. Gasper pretended he was Gasper a 10. Gasper can play sevens. Yeah, yeah. He pretended he was a 10 when he joined. Same story. He pretended he was a stand-off <laughs> at under 16. Didn't make it anywhere. Yeah. Play hooker. Two years later, first cap. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the whole journey came. I became a regular for the twos. I was benching for ones. And it's really, really hard in Australia because that level is totally from a different planet. La. <laughs> you know, if you want to look at perspective, right? Um, I watched a game in 2001. Hong Kong played their under-19s. Mm. They drew. <laughs> so, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> think about that level. Yeah. They played their... The year before, the Western... Australian team, though not professional, went over to Hong Kong and hammered them by like 77 points. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that level. So if you talk about that level I was playing, every game, uh, you have to represent Singapore, man. Yeah. If you don't bring your A game, one, you're going to get dropped for the next game. Yeah. Two, you're going to get injured. Right? You're going to get injured because you're going to get worried because the hits are hard. It's just fierce rugby, man. I, I still remember Rong. First time coming in, played first league game with me. Did his usual hold a person and line out. After I got bringing him to hospital, got teachers in his face. I'm like, dude, don't do that. All right. They play hard rugby, la, but don't try to hold a guy in a line out and punch in your face. La. So <laughs> it's that kind of rugby, really hard rugby, hard yeah. and honest rugby. Uh, and technically, we're not that far from them, but when you talk about fitness, you talk about basic skills yeah, uh, and physicality, athleticism, yeah. No, I, I, the, again, the same point. Um, these guys are uh, chucking the ball around day in and day out in between lessons. At the schoolboy level, they're running around, playing some form of rugby and all that. Whereas in Singapore, what we have is... What we have. What we have. And you can't expect to have the same results when these boys... And as in our our school boys are putting in much less, right? Two three times a week, maybe two three hours of rugby. Yeah. Every other time spent is on their mobile phone or, or something else. It's it it's it's difficult, lah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, uh, and you must remember, no, these guys are amateur, no. Yeah. These guys are amateur, but they their work uh, revolve their life and work uh, revolves around sport. Yeah. They'll be doing their and a lot of them are um, they are a mixture of um, careers like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 it's an it's an amateur league and set up by definition but their work ethic is is professional they take pride in in playing week in and week out for their their own respective correct, clubs right correct. and and I, I sincerely encourage anybody any rugby player if they want to really improve go overseas and and immerse yourself. Not a training stint doesn't work. You yeah. gotta go there and experience the culture. Yeah. Because the networks you're gonna create is fantastic. Um you won't believe it, you know. You know who we actually played in my club? Who? Nemi Nadolo. <laughs> I knew him when I was like eighteen years old. Uh, he was fat. <laughs> uh, so he came in 
they came out at SC7s I was introduced to them so yeah it's a feel of a fat kid but look at him now he's world, world beater um, Charles Stannard Mm. Chucky Stanner, yeah, no, James Stanner. Yeah, sorry, yeah. he was a seventh captain. Chucky, seventh captain. Chucky, he was, he was, he came with Kalmara also. Um, uh, second row lock for Wales. What's his name? Jake Ball. He he was also he he's also a he also came through the ranks for the club. So you don't even know who you're gonna meet and who you're gonna be with in future. Mm. Funny enough, I first met Deacon Manu there, 2002, and he paid a visit. I mean, he was playing for New Zealand Maoris there. So, mm. And now we're really good friends. And you don't even know who you're going to yeah. pass through with what you have. And the list goes on in, in the club itself. So the networks you have, the contacts you have, it's amazing. I, I still keep in touch with my friends in Australia. Mm. You know, um, Sometimes we do a voice call or a video call and see how it's going. I've, got, I've even traveled for their weddings. I went to Vietnam to, to one of my friend's wedding in 2000 yeah 2018 so so it's fun the kind of friendships you have and i had a great time in three in that whole three years because it was not more than just representing an organization or institution it was actually the friends you play with yeah and and you look at it the it's for for them in australia right rugby is a lifelong thing you know um recently we had a passing of this legend in, in our club all right uh, mr mickle all right and he played 500 first grade games or something or something 500 like four or 500 premiership games i remember one season back then was eight, 18 games uh, <laughs> for premiership so he played like for three decades and he passed not too long ago and i still remembered him uh, I also remember his brother. His brother was a volunteer and he would every morning, and the kind of dedication you see in the club is amazing. And you don't even know, you go early, the kids' rugby will be over. You get your auntie flipping hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Browns, man. yeah. They're all volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, hey, Mark, how's it going? I'm like, I, hi, <laughs> not sure who you are, but thanks. Good luck for the game. You, know? you feel that sense of pride. No? Yeah, it's a, it's a big family. La. Yeah, yeah. So we have that motto in our club called. Um, you know, one clan, one family. Uh, mm. In 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 our one one club, one family. Sorry, one clan's another club. So one clan, one family. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> one club, one, one club, one family. So that's out in Balmara, and yeah, we were unlucky. We were unlucky not to make past the semis, but yeah, I still keep in contact. Mm. Like, like I said, anyone going overseas, please, if you're hearing this, go and play as much rugby. And there are a handful of guys that are doing that right now. Mm. You think about who who you who you know, right? Playing overseas. I think Leonard Leonard just came back. Leonard, Leonard, yeah. Leonard played a rugby in uh, Melbourne. Issue still Issue, playing. Yeah. He's playing, I think, London one right now. Yeah. Or National Four. Well, I'm not sure what it is. But can he can he already catch a ball or like, apparently he's playing flanker now, so he can actually ah. tackle. Oh, that's, a, that's even better, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and our 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 Frenchies, you know, Xavier. I think oh, Zasu, they're, doing well. they're doing well. They're doing well. I think Zasu is playing and his good mate Luca who played for our under-19. Luca is playing for... Uh, Start from say or yeah, something. Yeah. So, you know, there's a sprinkling of, of players that do that. But, you know what? Overseas, is what you see on TV is not what you're actually going to play. Still mm. will always be... A, the rugby overseas are very different. It's not like elitist. Uh, it's very, very inclusive. You will, yeah. they will, 
he'll put you at a certain standard and if you're up to up to scratch great you play at that level you're better you go to the next level you go yeah. to the next level so that's the that's the thing unique about rugby right like in in every part of the world whether no matter how professional the game is there is still a very vibrant amateur side yeah it's very inclusive of, of rugby that yeah like you said it's inclusive lah. no matter how good you are there is a place for you no matter what shape or size you are <laughs> in there is a place for you correct yeah correct. so that's the that's the beautiful thing about it and oh. after, uh, once you go into the club rooms I don't even care what grade yeah, nobody cares I don't nobody even cares, care I think. if you play for this team that team and yeah. all that. let's have a beer like you say stories, one, sing songs one family yeah do silly things you know I think I think that, that that's something which I, I think we, we can learn yeah we can learn in general especially those who are involved with club rugby mm. you know, being inclusive with everyone yeah and that's how the great system works you know it's very inclusive you know yeah. I mean, you cannot just stereotype people you're not a good player doesn't matter just go yeah. play great have fun as long as you clock games yeah it goes back to my principles why I improved as a rugby player play more games I just wanted to play yeah I just wanted to play mm. Uh, so yeah so that was my that's my journey as a player I think I, I learned a lot in Australia came back played for Brook Kings but that was mainly because okay I mean I'm sorry about that but for the Lyrate people I believe they were all waiting for me but the fact was I wanted to play top division because I still thought I was still able-bodied to play mm. and they changed that ruling uh, Lyrate dropped down to the second division so I ended up playing for Brook Kings yeah and um yeah, that was. I'm still part of that club, one way or another. And mm. It was quite a ride. I mean, we struggled the very first year mm. because we just couldn't get numbers for training. Uh, there were a couple of key positions that we were lacked of, and we got we started building up from there. And obviously, there was a bit of changing of guard in terms of players, requirements, yeah, yeah. and all that. But nevertheless, uh, I think it was a really, really good period because it was mostly. Some of the guys I played with in the army mm. for Safsa back then, right? And they say, "All right, let's go. Let's all go to go to Brook Kings. So just just play, right?" Mm. So because we're familiar with all that, and we were lucky to win three premierships in a row. <laughs> Unlucky not to win four. It takes more than luck to win three premierships. <laughs> so yeah. well, we lost to a very good Wanderers team in nine uh, two thousand and nine. That was actually my last real competitive game. Mm. It was a very good Wanderers team and that sparked off the, the next decade of success. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, moving forward from there, uh, we can just move on to coaching, right? So... Okay, wait. Now, um... You still, I still have answered the Markipedia question, right? <laughs> we what? have a lot of unanswered questions, but we are also running short on time. Okay. So, I will... Of course, I will have to get you back soon. But anyway, um... Two things. Last two things I like to hear. First one is, um, what was your fondest memory? Of if rugby? you can choose one, yeah, rugby. Nineteen ninety-eight, under twenties, Thailand. Mm. Mm. One reason was why I wanted to play for Singapore mm. at a point of time. Uh, it was a very, it was a very meaningful thing because I remember, remember you rewind back in ninety-six. Yeah. I was on the bench didn't get a play at all. Yeah. 98, yeah. I wanted to play. I wanted to start. I didn't want to get out of the field. Mm. Uh, those sticks were on a box. Why was it memorable was 
if I, I still look at that picture all the time and I think that was probably my most favourite national team picture. Mm. I mean, all the... No disrespect to all the other national teams I played with. They are all fantastic. But I think that sticks out the most because how can you be in a team where you are in the... Where your flanker was this guy you take a bus home where, when you were 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. Your fullback is your classmate you sit next to and the guy that was asking you to play rugby. Yeah. Your number eight is your be- one of your best friends. Mm. Your loose head prop is one of your best friends. Your hooker is a very good friend of mine. Yeah. It was amazing because and who would have thought the number 12 would be this guy called Paul Foster because he's so good looking <laughs> and he became a superstar. <laughs> and my standoff was Harry Mason. Yeah. It was the most incredible national team I ever played with because it was a team where we all grew up and knew each other and grew up together yeah. to be part of this whole team. And it wasn't a motley crew. It was a team that's gone through so much competition, played so much club rugby. Paul Foster was a baby of the team along with Harry Mason but the whole bulk of us played so much rugby and we were ready to play Thailand and we were probably the only or first age group team to beat Thailand in Thailand. Wow. 17-14 we were 14-5 down at half time but we clawed our way back and yeah I think it was 14 all the last 10 minutes and we my the my classmate that sat next to me mm. <laughs> took the winning uh, winning penalty and yeah I think that was the fondest memory ever man and mm. if I were to retire that day right I would probably no regrets have no regrets whatsoever so that was probably my biggest uh, mm. biggest uh, fondest memory uh, you know in, awesome in hearing you describe it huh? hearing you describe the memory uh, like, I, like I know some of these guys so hearing you describe this memory is like wow it puts me there and I'm like wow okay How, what are the odds of that right yeah what yeah, are the odds yeah. of that right and I think someone mentioned this before like you um, in rugby or in any other sport um, it is quite difficult to to it is almost impossible to play with the same group of players week in and week out or, or championship in championship out because at every point there's always uh, something right there's the people move on people Correct. make other decisions uh, school work uh, NS and, and all these other things so with every campaign and every season that comes you have to cherish that um, yeah we'll talk more about this next time uh, last thing last thing last thing um, okay what what do you have to to say or, or rather one one piece of advice you have to say to the younger guys coming up that want to play for a national team or have some aspirations? I think take things at once at a time, but you must know what your level of commitment and participation is. I mean, if you want to be at Singapore domestic level, what kind of level of commitment do you need to do? Mm. If you want to compete against the rest of Southeast Asia, what do you need to do? If you want to be Asia level, what do you need to do? Do you want to be world class? How much? It's how much time you need to invest and how you can balance it all. Mm. I think that's very, very important. Balance is very, very important. If you want to do that, you, it, you cannot be a good player in school today and national day, national team player tomorrow. That's one. Two, get out of your comfort zone. Mm. When I talked about overseas, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to be direct, but you know, when I was talking, when everybody talked about this certain player from St. Andrews, Uma, 
I would say, I'll give an example. Mm, Everybody mm. was talking about, you know, he's a monster, he's a monster, he's a monster. You know, he's going to be a player for the future. And all. He is going to be a player for the future. But I stood up and said, hang on. You say he's going to be awesome and all that. What makes you think he's going to be a player for the future when you don't invest in the future? Yeah, yeah. If you really care about his rugby career and his life, put money, send overseas, two to three years. Mm. Get him year 11, year 12, or year 10, 11, 12, New Zealand and all that. Let him learn how to be a better rugby player. Mm. And in view of getting going to university, find a sponsor. I don't know. I know it sounds very far-fetched. It is not. It is. It sounds very far-fetched. But it if, sounds if, like it is, but... But the thing is, if you are interested and you all you do is talk up that boy, yeah. how are you going to back yourself? Yeah. All right? The... How are you going to back yourself? So get some investment. I'm not talking about sports SG and all that. I don't know, if you are really looking at this boy and uh, you say, okay, 20 years down the road, maybe this boy can work for me, but let me play his rugby first. Mm. You know, I play at that level. No, he's at Asia level. Who knows, maybe he gets to play in Japan one day because of the way the Asian rules are. Mm. But for him to get there, right, he needs to do certain things. Right now, there is opportunity for players to possibly play in Japan and all that, but how are they going to get there? And I'd be very frank, playing in Singapore eight to nine games a year does not cut it. Yeah. You have to go out of your comfort zone. Go overseas and play. I know it's hard unless you have opportunity to study overseas. I mean, I'm thankful for my parents doing that. <laughs> Learn how to make your own bed, wash your own clothes, cook your own food, choose your timetable. The works, the works, the full experience. Work part-time. Yeah. You know, I, I was playing rugby the whole day, sometimes I double up, plays twos, plays ones. I was making pizzas at five o'clock. I wasn't out with the boys at the club room. I only did it once a month. Mm. Just take off. Come back, do my work. Sleep. Do a bit more work, recover, have a jog. Go back and uh, make pizzas again. I was mm. working while I was doing that. And it was not funny, you know, because at that point of time, my, my parents, my dad was going through a, tra- a career transition and he wasn't at earning that much money. So mm. I had to support myself. Yeah. So, if but if you really want to balance things out, you can. That's how you want to do it. All right. The third one, the third advice. Uh, social media is very dangerous. <laughs> Extremely. You know, you post things up, you know, this and that. If you want to post things up, you must make sure you walk the talk. Mm. You got to back yourself in things you want to do. I mean, people like, you know, the self-glorification and all that. But I think have that sense of uh, humility mm. and if you want to do things or announce great things you better walk the talk alright because you'll be gone in a flash in terms of um, recognition or respect from people I think these are the three things um, I'm pointing out for young aspiring athletes Yeah. if you want to be successful alright balance getting out of your comfort zone and third one walking the talk mm. So that's all from me. All right, Mark. Um, fantastic. I really, really, really enjoyed the stories. I mean, I've known you for a while and I've seen you play and I've looked up to you and, and all the guys growing up and um, we, we even played together for a bit in the same club and uh, we went through the really the highs and lows at Bedok. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lows when I came in. <laughs> I seem to bring the, the, the lows around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, insightful, very, very insightful. Uh, found out a lot of things about your story, and um, 
I <laughs> shit, I, I really wish we had a bit more time, but uh, definitely get yeah, you on. Yeah, we haven't talked about. I haven't yeah. explained why I'm Markipedia. Yeah, <laughs> so we. I will definitely get you back. Don't worry. Um, yeah. So thank you again for today. Um, I hope people out there found it insightful and enjoyed it. Uh, we will definitely get you back. Definitely. So yeah, this is the Create Don't Hate podcast. Um, thanks again, Mark. We'll see you. Ciao. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Sydney. See you soon.